0: This is a message from our sponsor. I'd like to introduce you to Publica by IAS, the award-winning CTV ad server trusted by some of the biggest streaming services and smart TV manufacturers globally. Publica helps a growing number of leading AVOD and FAST services to power the programmatic ad break decisioning via products including a unified auction, server-side ad insertion, and a demand-agnostic ad server built from the ground up around streaming. Head to GetPublica.com to find out how they help CTV publishers to grow their advertising revenues and provide streaming audiences with linear-like TV ad break experiences. Welcome to the Architecture Podcast. I'm Ari Paparo. I'm here with Eric Franchi and Gavin Dunaway of the Media Trust. This is going to be a great show. We have a lot of great things to talk about. We are going to talk about Google getting rid of IP addresses. We have some follow-up on last week's um, freewheel news. Um, there's earnings roundups. So there's plenty of earnings to talk about. Um, so we have some really interesting topics. Um, first, I want to talk a little bit of housekeeping. So starting next week, if you're a subscriber to Architectures podcast feed on either Spotify or Apple, you'll see some changes. Um, so first of all, we're moving Justify Your Existence, our new our new segment on startups, which has become very popular. We're moving it off of this podcast to its own publication schedule on Wednesday, um, so you can get those startups in your inbox pretty easily. Um, if you get tired of listening to us, just pop right in there. And secondly, the podcast feed currently has short versions of the in-depth vendor interviews on architecture. We're changing that. We're going to put the full versions on the podcast. Um, so they will only be live for about a week. So if you uh, are a Markitecture subscriber to Architecture TV, you will have access to all the interviews, hundreds of hours of interviews, uh, but the podcast listeners will be able to get the latest and greatest each Monday. Hope that's not too complicated. Email me if it's too complicated. Anyway, <laughs> enough housekeeping. All right. So um, Gavin Dunaway, Gavin's a sort of a legend in our industry. He people A lot of people probably still know him as the Ad Monsters guy, also a musician, and currently at the Media Trust. Not Media Trust, the Media Trust. You must include the. So Gavin, thanks for being here.
1: I, you know, it, thank you for having me. Uh, first off, you know, I, I, don't know if I'm known as the Ad Monsters guy. I feel like sometimes it's like the other Ad Monsters guy because you <laughs> say the Ad Monsters guy, and they're like, oh, Rob Beeler. It was like, no, 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 that the the tall guy that used to lurk behind him,
0: and it was like, yeah, that's me, Gavin. That reminds me, we should have we should have Beeler on the show. Oh, you should totally. we should have, have him, him now. We should get rid of you. Put on Beeler. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Let me call him up. I'll, I'll put him on speakerphone. He can go through my microphone.
0: No, we love you, Gavin.
1: Oh, wow. You're just saying that because I booked you for a keynote once.
0: <laughs> That's keynote? enough. That'll do it.
2: All my predictions came true. <laughs>
0: So why don't we start with the Media Trust? We, have, uh, we had a great interview on Markitecture TV that you could listen to in depth on the Media Trust. It's um, been around for a really long time, real stalwart of the industry. Oh, seriously. Um, and stalwart,
1: not dinosaur. I like it when people say that.
0: Yeah, stalwart's a positive, I think, kind of. So, <laughs> so what's going on in the world of security and protection in, in ad tech? It feels like a subject we don't talk about that much, but what, what's the latest and greatest?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I don't, you know, it's not like saying the days of 2016, 2017, where, you know, when I would hear from like publishers all over every week, they were getting just killed with uh, the redirects, with the, the Walmart gift cards, Amazon gift cards, stuff like that. Those are still around, make no mistake, but we're not seeing them in the same force that we used to. There's a lot more devious stuff going on these days, especially a lot of targeted specifically at elderly people. Uh, one of the interesting things about Media Trust being so old is that we built up this massive infrastructure of devices all over the world over the past almost 20 years now. And we use those to go hunting for malware and also to analyze tags from our various uh, clients as well as other uh, sites. And uh, we have set up specifically profiles that are, that look like elderly people I'm going to do many things that elderly people do. And they are constantly targeted with certain malware and stuff that's even making it onto CBS, uh, CBS uh, 60 minutes, uh, tech scam malware, uh, where, yeah, they tell you there's something, it's this old school too. It's crazy that it came back into fashion. redirect pops up, say, says there's a virus on your computer, call this number you call the call the number it's a fake tech support and next thing you know they're telling you to install something on your computer and and uh, yeah they uh, they freeze it up that's crazy how how prolif- proliferated is this like is you know oh that one i do have uh, some numbers coming up i mean it's just it's uh, we see i would say hundreds of unique versions of this attack uh, we call it dolos uh, you know I can bore you with what we've written about it online, but we see it from all kinds of DSPs, SSPs. Typically, there is cloaking involved. There will be, uh, they'll use a different creative or a different landing page in order to get past any DSP audits, SSP audits. And uh, that's how they ends up on major publisher
0: pages. So you said something I want to follow up on. How do you teach your bots to act like an old person?
1: Oh, we send them. We program them. We uh, and you know it's not you know it's only somewhat of a bot. It, we've got people behind the screens, behind the scenes, um, that are in there um, working on our profiles all the time. We've got ones for uh, for children as well as uh, different age groups. Uh, the children one is uh, particularly helpful because uh, we use that also to uh, verify. COPPA Wait, compliance. so
0: but do you like go down to Florida and to a mall and grab a bunch of old people and give them laptops <laughs> and say pretend you're well, surfing the web?
1: We have some other secrets there. I can't get too much into it, but we do. Uh, we do have actual uh, devices okay. and houses that of uh, various people. We know the demographics for, and we can use the. Uh, we use the uh, crawlers out of these devices to uh, that, that happen to be in Florida. Yeah, <laughs> Florida, Virginia, anywhere in the country. Devil's really.
0: advocate, isn't it okay if everyone in Florida mm-hmm. gets scammed? I mean, do we really care? Oh,
1: <gasps> whoa, Hi-oh. <laughs>
0: What how, what's the role of law enforcement here? You said they call a phone number, so if there's a phone number that the grandma is going to call to install this stuff. Presumably, that's easy to track down. Who registered the phone number and corporations mm-hmm. are involved, etc.
1: Well, I think the you know as we've seen, I think with robocalling and all the scam phone calls, there are many many ways to to mask a true phone number. So. That that definitely goes out of my purview because I'm more in, in on the digital side. But yeah, no, it's it's really, really difficult because for, it's the, the scams have to be basically called into on the federal level to uh, the FTCs. I think they call it Scam Guard, uh, Better Business Bureau, groups like that. And then they chase them down. If it's not big enough, it's not really going to get that much right. attention.
0: Scam Guard sounds like a scam. Like if you if you got a pop-up <laughs> right? saying, call Scam Guard, you would tell tell your mom not to click I, I, on it.
1: It's yeah, no, the law, the law, the law, enforcement part is a real is uh, is a real, real pain because it you know, there's all kinds of problems with jurisdiction, the feds, uh, if it's too small of a case, they're not going to take it on local, pe- you know, you call up your local police, police department, and they'll kind of like shrug your shoulders, like, I guess I can do a drive by.
2: It's like, yeah. Uh, Have you seen some really bad stuff, like state sponsored uh, actors or, or stuff or stuff like that?
1: We, uh, you know, we had a great we interview. Uh, we had an article in Ad Exchanger, and uh, we had they did a follow up with Mike Lighton, who is uh, the head of uh, basically malware and malvertising for Tag, uh, talking about we. It's hard to prove that it's a state actor. We know something is going on Ukraine. We had our devices aimed the ones in Ukraine, recreating Ukraine citizens' experiences. We saw a massive spike in phishing schemes right before. The, uh, the invasion, right afterwards, we saw tactics switch around from, from you know, pushing out like, uh, the gift card schemes, the old, old school things, uh, switching over to actually hacking uh, well-known uh, news publications and sending malware out through that way. And a lot of times it was just to steal credentials of some type. Because malvertising is typically one part of a lar- larger chain. It's about getting certain pieces of data that you can take back to the dark web and resell. And then people can put together bigger attacks. And that's where you kind of get into like the ransomware groups that you read about takedowns and stuff like so, that. So
0: last week we had a really great conversation about MFA made for advertising sites. Um, so when Ooh. Chris Kane was here, he gave sort of his usual, you know, master class on that sort of thing. But I'm interested in, in the correlation between site quality and site safety. As a consumer, I would think the worse the site, the more likely it is to be unsafe.
1: 100%. It's, it comes down to simple as simple as, as if you care more about your content, you care more about your, your audiences, engaging them, building relationships, you're going to want better ad experiences. You're going to be far more concerned about malware. Not only are you going to be concerned about malvertising, you're also going to be concerned about weird ad content, low quality ad content, stuff like that and so you are going to take you are going to take far more precautions to make sure your audiences are safe.
0: Right. And that includes um doing business with sort of third tier SSPs or let's let's not say SSPs. Let's say demand sources. Um you may put all kinds of weird tags from less reputable companies and then that chain is easier to get to a bad actor. Oh my goodness.
1: Yes, and you know the chains themselves can also be vulnerable. We've seen over the past couple of years a huge rise in attacks well redirects and other maladvertising delivered via um, URL syncs uh, a lot of what I like to call zombie ad tech where what happens is my favorite ones was choice stream anybody remember them I remember the name yeah what was that I can't remember exactly what they did and what their what their thing was I know I interviewed the CEO years and years ago but they went out of business I think in two, 2017. Couple years ago, we start seeing malvertising redirects delivered on ads on I'm sorry on websites with no ads, and we're like, what is going on? We realized there was an audience sync, there was a URL sync with Choice Stream, and a, a bad actor had bought out the old ChoiceStream Stream URL and was now sending malware through it.
0: Wow, that's not great.
1: No. And I will say, you know, one of the things we see with a lot of publishers, is they have all these old URL syncs with companies that no longer exist on their archived pages. So people will go on those archive, you know, publisher pages from like seven, eight years ago, it might be something I don't know about the best hot springs in Arizona, New Mexico. And yeah, they'll get hit with a redirect because there's an old, old URL sync on
0: there. And the page is still around in search results and you just get this long tail of crap.
1: Right. And there's nobody going in to take out all this old junk code because what's the point? How many people actually go to that page?
0: So so you just got back from the pre-bid summit. Unfortunately, the architecture travel budget did not allow me to attend. The what, What's going on in pre-bid world?
1: Tons and tons of stuff. I mean, uh, they've got a lot of innovation on on their part. A great deal of talk about the future of video. Some interesting stuff on the mobile app front, and uh, trying to trying to uh, incorporate, better incorporate. I think the the ad networks that kind of that, that rule the space a bit too much. And in other words, give publishers a lot more monetization choice. But lots of talk about identity and what exactly is how much identity they need to support what's going to happen in Q2 uh, 20, 2024, uh, a lot of confusion over, yeah, I mean, where are advertisers going to go? And tons of frustration where like right now, I think buy side and side, sell side just cannot tell what IDs are actually performing. Definitely the sell side can't tell what IDs are performing and which ones they should gravitate towards. Right.
0: So publishers are putting all kinds of IDs in their bid... Bid responses or bid requests and, and whether that turns into more yield or not, is pretty hard to determine. Exactly. I'm not super into pre-bid, like at a technical level, I probably should be a little bit more, but it feels as though pre-bids kind of on a different track from the sandbox and the two things aren't like reconcilable, (laughs) like the sandbox Browser is going to be doing
1: stuff. That was a very interesting comment that Garrett McGrath from Magnite and one of the chair people of Prebit, I'm not quite sure if he's like the vice or not. I apologize if I misdid his his, uh, title, but uh, he said, what our friends at Chrome is doing is important and we can work basically in harmony with that.
0: Hmm. harmony that does that's not a very technical word harmony it was um, not yeah because I, I mean pre-bid has a has a is a machine it it makes you know all these requests gets all the responses does all this stuff and now uh, the sandbox proposal is a totally different mechanism by which bids will be returned to the browser and then to and then to the ad server and i feel as though we're in like a you know a uh, Relativity versus quantum mechanics kind of situation here.
1: I love that. I love that, and it's you know I will say with the buyers in the room, and all at the other all the other conferences I have been to, I have not heard one buyer say a thing about the privacy sandbox.
0: Nothing. They don't. I mean, it's so hard to understand. They don't know what's going to happen. So, so earlier you had texted me that, or put in the notes that you felt the. Mood at the pre-bid was sort of sour that Q4 wasn't looking so good, and meanwhile we're, we're going to talk later the about gangbuster earnings from the from the big guys. What what's how's that feel?
1: Like you know, I, I was just getting the vibe, especially from publishers, some of the supply side uh, partners that I I came in that they are not expecting a good Q4, that it's going to be rough and not as uh, not as rough as last year. Uh, in general publishers were really kind of sensing uh, they were seeing a lot of slip uh, traffic slippage and definitely we've seen I mean I don't know how high Twitter Twitter was definitely I, I still want to call it Twitter I can't deal with X Twitter was good for news sites in particular but that uh, you know it's obvious there's throttling going on meta it's definitely slipped off on on, on all those platforms as well
2: definitely a feeling a bit of a traffic uh, traffic squeeze that's interesting so this is not a demand issue per se this is actually a supply issue like publishers don't have enough to sell
1: i think it's i think it's both sides i i feel like many many of the publishers i was talking to definitely have decent premium decent direct businesses as well and they were not they i don't think they were satisfied with what they were seeing coming coming through for the next few months and uh, from what i understand yeah the buying patterns aren't looking promising
0: i'm a little worried that we're through la- loss of identity and also through the growth of AI, that uh, publishers may be finally at the big disadvantage versus the Googles and Metas that they've, that has been coming for a long time.
2: Uh, the race to the bottom. We finally we finally found it. No, it's a it's a it's an arms race in terms of capabilities. I would say more, more properly. That's true.
0: I want to talk about ad monsters. We always like to talk about kind of history of ad tech on the show and other like old stuff because we're old guys. You know my first exposure to ad monsters I was a product manager at DoubleClick and they asked me to speak and I had never heard of the heard of it yet I went into a room and I literally knew every single person in there and there it was. It felt like the scene in Lord in The Hobbit when <laughs> all the dwarves assemble for the mission you know is like 100% men 100% ad ops wanted to like <laughs> you know wanted to go off into the forest and serve some ads it's a weird conference so oh, tell, yeah. tell us tell us your perspective how do you get involved and am i wrong in my characterization
2: <laughs> well
1: i think things definitely change i mean ad monsters does have a long history uh, some people may not know but it was founded in 1999 by bowen dwelly and he was an ad ops guy at yahoo and Basically, he got together with a bunch of friends, and they had uh, they went out to a resort and complained about all the the problems they had. And they did it uh, three four years in a row. And then he started realizing, like, actually, you know what? There may be a business here. And eventually, he brought in he brought in Rob Beeler, and uh, they eventually I came in in 2011, and we we realized that uh, three three of these publisher forums a year made a lot of sense, and we're helping out a v- wide variety of publishers. How I got actually into digital advertising, that's an interesting one. I i was always a journalist, uh, but I didn't want to do mainstream political journalism, anything like that. I uh, preferred industry journalism, partially because I liked uh, having a regular paycheck and free time so I could do my musical pursuits in the background because I have been in many touring bands over the years. I'm actually, I'm, I'm going over to uh, England in a couple of weeks to do a quick tour with another friend. So.
0: Plug the show. Plug the show. If you want to, <laughs> if you want to hear Gavin live, go to where?
1: I, I would go visit. Yeah, this is also part of the problem. Now, I, I, I'm pretty sure this band doesn't have a website. Look for the Plains NYC on uh, on Instagram.
0: All right, you heard it here first. Uh, so, so how did you get in? Jim Cramer was involved.
1: Jim Cramer was involved. He fired me. I worked. Hold on. <laughs> he fired me for <laughs> did... native advertising. Explain. <laughs> okay, so I moved up to New York in 2008. Wonderful time to move up to New York. You know the financial world's crashing down, and I got a job as a copy editor at theStreet.com, and I was focused on their subscription product, which included Jim Cramer's blog posts. And so I used that have- real, real money, real money, right? real money. Yes, wow. I, Taking me back, I'm I'm
2: I'm not proud to admit I paid for oh, it. as thing. long as
1: you didn't do a thing. The the baseball player that was nails on the numbers. <laughs> it was I the baseball player who eventually got thrown in jail. Lenny Dykstra nails. Yeah, I nails I had to edit a couple of uh options pieces and I was just like I have... not is this
0: He was illiterate basically
1: is this this is not English <laughs>
0: Yeah All right anyway Jim Kramer come on get to the Jim Kramer okay, go
1: on Kramer Okay so I and this included uh, editing Jim Kramer's blog posts and uh, you know a lot of times it looked like he just mashed some stuff out on a Blackberry cuz this is 2008 uh, mashed some stuff out on a Blackberry all caps and just like screaming and I was basically told to turn that into something that 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 resembles a blog post. <laughs> so I did this and it was kind of quietly suggested that you should put in like a sentence somewhere just about promoting some of our other products, uh, the real money products. So yeah, you know, we we would just kind of sh- hush hush add a little sentence here and there like if you like that, you should check out this other piece that we did by this author and subscribe to that. Uh, well, one day one of our our people apparently beat um Charlie Gasparino. I'm name dropping all over the place. Uh, totally beat him to a uh, some kind of scoop. And I mentioned that in one of my in my native advertising pitch. And well, Charlie called up Jim Kramer and said, "What's that about?" And Jim was like, "What are you guys doing to my pieces?" And yeah, I was out on the I was out on the street.
0: <laughs> wow, well, it caused a beef between. You know, I, I met Jim Kramer when I was an intern at Hearst, and wow. there was some free food sitting out, and he just like wandered in and started eating our muffins, and and the secretaries came over to me because I was the intern, and they were like, who's that guy eating our muffins? And I was like, I'm not sure. I think I've seen it before. And so know, that's my little Jim Cramer story. Uh, Gavin,
2: Gavin what, what is it about ops that makes it, for want of a better term, ops people <laughs> are cool. Like, the I, I really enjoy, like, you know, hanging out in the AdOps bullpen or something like that when I'm, when I'm at a company. That's, they're very collaborative. They, they're, like, problem solvers. They typically have a good sense of humor. Do, like, do those type of people, are they attracted to AdOps? Does AdOps screen for, you know, like, people like us? It's, uh, I've always wondered.
1: It is. It is a really good question because I I thought the same thing before I jumped over to Ad Monsters. I was writing a blog. I was employed for a blog writing all about advertising technology, and I ran into Rob Beeler at a conference, and I said, "Like, dude, does any of this shit actually work?" Uh, he was like, "I have the people that can tell you that," and the answer is no. So yeah, and that's when I started meeting Pub ad Ops people, and they're all just really, really cool and fun and they all have lots of diverse interests. And yeah, I've met a ton of musicians like myself and yeah, I, I nerd out with the people on guitars all the time. I, you know, I think uh, AdOps kind of grabs them. I, I feel like it's, you know, Rob was, uh, Rob Beeler was a film major. I I, I was a journalist, but I, I was more of an English and a lit guy. I think it, it, people that kind of don't quite know what to career path to go to, they find something extremely interesting in this. And it's also. I, I, you know, maybe it's just my own feelings with, as like a guy who was a journalist, it's about helping media and the future, trying to build the future of media because it's got to be monetized. There's got to be ads somehow. I, I think there's just something that feels slightly noble about it, even if sometimes, you know, building the future of media includes uh, putting in God knows how many chum boxes at the bottom of your site.
0: Man,
2: it could be thankless sometime, but um, yeah, it's just it's fascinating. Shout out to AdOps subreddit. Oh, yeah. I, I learned so much on that. It's really fun. I love that. One.
0: There is a, you know, I think there's a government-sponsored uh, International Day of Programmatic. We should have a day just for AdOps. I think it was like a, that was a, I have to look it up. Some company, maybe Viant, caused there to be a programmatic day. Congress declared it or something. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Anyway, um, there's, uh, let's take a break and we'll come back with News of the Week. There's a lot to talk about. Architecture is brought to you by Pontiac Intelligence. Pontiac Intelligence is a demand-side platform designed for running high-quality CTV campaigns. With its proprietary bidder and a focus on privacy-safe era, Pontiac brings clear and powerful differentiation from the crowded DSP space. Transparent, low-tech fees, accurate forecasting, and the ability to manage thousands of simultaneous campaigns with ease. See a demo and learn more at Pontiac.media. That's Pontiac.media. All right, we're back. So first, I want to address Freewheel. So last week, we talked about the anonymous blog post that was accusing Freewheel of of, of having duplicate bid requests, um, which is a, a anti-pattern, I think, in a lot of uh, programmatic. Um, and I spoke to some folks who will remain anonymous but have knowledge of the situation, and the, the context around this ha- is specific to video and is specific to the fact that a 30-second spot can also be filled with two 15-second spots, and a two-minute two ad break can be filled with any combination of ads. Um, and in the current state of video ad serving and video programmatic, OpenRTB doesn't support that until version 2.6, and 2.6 is not adopted. So the point of view here, and I won't say it's Freewheel's point of view, but I'll say the point of view here is that... In video ad serving is actually quite common to have multiple ad requests based on possible combinations of different lengths of ads, um, because that's the only way you're going to get the demand if the demand requires a 15 second instead of a 30. So I just want to throw that out there. I'm not going to endorse that point of view, and I'm not going to endorse the blog post either. I'm just giving the information because I think it's an interesting subject to cover. All right. Uh, now i'm going to take off my journalist hat it's very odd that i'm a journalist now <laughs> let's talk about some interesting stuff okay so google have put out a little blog post today that seemed pretty innocuous but actually could destroy the universe which is that they're rolling out anti-ip address feature in chrome so it's an so what they said is it's opt-in in the us only and a small number of users will have it set automatically And what this feature does is obscure your IP address through a proxy, similar to what Apple came out with with their Relay product. Um, But Apple's product was tied to being a premium subscriber of their cloud services, whereas Google's is just in Chrome. And the interesting thing I thought was that it's very focused on third-party domains. So they're really kind of targeting ad tech here in in this rollout. They're not not going to... Sites rely on IP address for all kinds of things, and the focus here is on third parties. So... Based on what we know, um, should people be freaking out?
2: The question is, what is the manner by which um, they're going to seek opt-in? Is it going to be like the Apple pop-up? Do you want this app to track you all over the web? Which you know we've seen the the outcome there on on mobile, or is it going to be something different, more elegant, more in the more in the background? I think that determines the answer to
0: everything. It's a very important question. I think we won't know that for quite some time because I think this is really an experiment. So, but so many companies rely on IP address for the for their probabilistic IDs, for their across-device graphs, for their conversion attribution when cookies aren't available. This this is a this is a fairly big deal. I think. Gavin, any
1: thoughts about that? Yeah, for, for sure. And I'm, I'm kind of curious to ask you about, you know, I feel like I hear a lot of lip service. Maybe it's just lip service at conferences about moving away from IP and this idea that, yeah, you know, IP is going to be next on the list. Is that more just, is is it more empty talk or or are people, have people actually been making the plans?
0: You know, I, I don't think they are because I think that when you ask a lot of vendors about what they're doing, in the lack of third-party cookies, the answers have IP somewhere in the middle of them, even if they don't say that. Um, and, uh, and I think that this would this would take down a lot of approaches that people are currently betting on. Uh, to give one example, Connected TV has a lot of vendors who, who now use the IP address of the Connected TV, which would not be affected by this because it's not Chrome, but then they correlate that to the IPs of users who shop on websites, and that would be affected. So this would have a pretty big last radius.
1: So yeah, theoretically, yeah, that could be, I, would it be much of a punch for a retail slash commerce media?
0: Yeah. I think the retargeting offsite targeting without cookies is very dependent on IP address.
2: Any cross site, any cross device, right? So if it's, you know, within a given, you know, walled off environment, whether that's on site, whether that's on CTV in app, no. Once you try to figure out how to leverage them across devices footprints, then then it's subjects And yeah, I mean, to Ari's point, this is a pretty significant part of the overall pie. So that's why it goes, to me, it goes back to the question number one, like how how exactly are they going to engage with consumers on this?
0: Yeah, it's a a very open question. And this is definitely something to keep your eye on, Uh, Another, uh, next news story that a lot of big advertisers have stopped spending on X. I don't think anyone finds this surprising, Uh, but the report came out uh, showing that kind of the big advertisers have really dropped off their spending on X. Gavin, are you still using X?
1: I am, for for my work life, not really. I mean, it's just, I found that long has been my thing. I will go to many events and I will, uh, I used to live tweet whatever I was seeing, whatever I was doing, and try to throw in my own commentary whenever I could. Uh, But I found over the past year that when I would do this, I would not get much engagement anymore. And I started asking people why, and they were like, oh, yeah, I don't use that especially as I started going to more retail media event, the retail media people wanted nothing to do with Twitter. So I, I took it to Dan instead. And what do you know, I am just blowing up all the time. Uh, yeah, no, not for not for work stuff. And it's really sad because ad tech Twitter is absolute, used to be an absolute joy. Yeah, we had a lot of a lot of funny conversations on there. Yeah, my personal life, I, I still, I, I like to just kind of get out uh, pot shots here and there, mm. vent a little frustration, uh, but mainly about, you know, music
2: and and non work related stuff
0: yeah Eric what, what's your thought on advertising on Twitter
2: so specific to this story it's interesting because it contradicts what Linda Iacorino said Linda Iaccarino said and I don't remember what offhand what the percentage was but you know uh, effectively the big brands the big spenders are coming back and then this company I believe it was uh, ubiquity, who did the study said, actually, if you look at the data, that's not correct. So I think that's kinda interesting. I and mean, then advertising on Twitter. We've 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 beat this to, to death. You know, I think it's good that they're experimenting with programmatic channels. I think that's super important, particularly in light of uh this data, you know, whether or not it's correct or not is thing one. Thing two, you know, they need to continue to innovate on ad formats and be able to at the same time, bring in, you know, DR dollars um, because that's where, you know, the, the competitive set tends to get most of um, their business. And the number two, solve for the nature of X, which is live and what's happening now. And that needs to be some sort of video.
0: We we can't say anything bad about Lindy Ecarino on this podcast because Matt Barish will come to our house and beat us up. <laughs> or he'll beat me up. Eric could probably <laughs> take him, but he'd beat me up.
2: Like, but
1: can I say on that, you know, there, there's a couple of interesting things. One, the ads I do see on Twitter, there are some really good like DR ads for like products. I'm like, oh, hey, that actually looks pretty interesting. And I, I, I have clicked through. Uh, and I think smaller advertisers, it's, it's actually pretty useful. But the main thing I've seen lately is a terrible amount of the frequency capping just yeah. the same ad twice in a row everywhere and it's like oh my god really there
0: was a report i think a week ago that we didn't link to it but that really focused on vertical video as an ad format and i think that's a very smart move depending on how they implement it, it might be really annoying but we'll, we'll see what they do there the big news this week are the earnings reports so google snap microsoft uh, and meta all all had interesting earnings reports. I want to talk about Google because it's my favorite subject. So Eric Suford published this chart that I thought was awesome, which shows that for the first time ever, the network segment, which is the ad tech segment, more or less, was smaller than the YouTube segment. Um, so the lines crossed, YouTube's bigger than all the stuff we talk about all day, and we never talk about YouTube, so maybe we're wasting our lives here. But the other thing is that YouTube gained 12.5% in ad revenue which is uh, you know, a really nice return to growth. YouTube was stalling out for a little bit, so kudos to Neil Mohan for for turning that giant ship around. A lot of that has to do with football, I think.
1: Yeah, um, I was wondering, that that includes YouTube TV revenue? Yeah, that includes YouTube oh, TV,
0: yeah. and they have that exclusive deal for the NFL, They're, the premium NFL package, I forget what it's called. That, um, Sunday tickets, Sunday tickets, yeah, a yep. billion-dollar line of business. Huge. Um, but meanwhile, the Google Network, which is... Effectively, DV three hundred and sixty, AdEx, GAM, and all that stuff uh, fell by two point six percent. So that's a declining business at this time, which implies that they should really spin it out and make me president of that company. That's that's Google. If you're listening, you got my number. I'm ready to run the Google network for you people.
2: Two two thoughts on that. Maybe two and a half thoughts on that. Uh, number one, perhaps this can connect to what Gavin said earlier because Google and the network is such a Important piece of the pie for publisher revenue, you know, is this a little bit of a canary in the coal mine that that shows that as thing one. Um, the other thing is, if you take a step back, revenue is up eleven percent. That means on a just a raw basis, that's a seventy-seven billion dollar advertising business. Seventy-seven billion dollars. Like, yes, this is slightly down, but between search and YouTube and you know all of the ad tech, I mean, it's massive. And then number two, and we should talk about this as we get to meta and the others the one thing that they, they did call out two things you know n- number 1 you know where, where they are seeing you know, interesting improvements is in commerce and, and retail and that's being driven by pmax and they said specifically that customers are seeing 18% more conversions on average you know cost to cost being be, being like if they're not using pmax so i think that you know, might be slightly down, might be, you know, f- flat arguably, but there's changes happening under, under the hood that I think are like super interesting and indicative of what's to come.
0: Yeah. Uh, Eric, do you want to keep going and about Meta? Because Meta also had great results and they're very much driven by AI and their and their systems that don't give advertisers a lot of choices.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about Meta in two seconds. So Snap was up 5%. Microsoft Ads was up 9, 9%. Spotify was up 24%. So like largely, you know, the quarter was good for these companies. Um for Snap, for Spotify, these are first party walled gardens, right? So I think that's where, you know, a, a lot of the momentum is. Meta crushed it. 24% year over year increase in ad revenue. Um this is and shout out to, to Brian Weiser, friend of the pod. This is 6 billion dollars of incremental ad growth. <laughs> Brian actually said this in his newsletter and I, you know, if I was, wasn't on a standing, you know, standing desk, I might have like fallen off my chair. So to give you some context, $6 billion is more than the annual revenue of any company outside of the top 10 ad sellers. So just the growth that Meta is taking out of the market is super int- interesting. Now they pointed to Advantage Plus, which is Meta's version of PMAX and the Advantage Plus shopping ads being at a $10 billion run rate. So if you take a $10 billion run rate and you just go you know, super simple, $2.5 billion was in Q3, that means nearly half of Meta's growth came from Advantage Plus. What does that mean? That means that this set it and forget it, AI-driven, like just give us the keys and we're going to drive results for you, is driving half of the growth for, for Meta at this point, like months after it was released. Like A, wow. B, Zuck is back. C, it's about AI. And D, this is what I'd love to sort of get, you know, talk about with with you folks, and, and also hear from everybody else. I mean, is this the beginning of what we're seeing with what the where the market is going, which is AI driven, set it and forget it, algorithmic campaigns, and very few people involved, quite frankly, turning the, dots, the dials. Thoughts?
0: Yeah, I, I think I think it is. I think I think that our industry has been talking about AI, and machine learning for twenty years. Or people like Rocket Fuel, they they had machine learning. There's nothing against them, but this is different. And the combination of machine learning plus the loss of signal is make, going to make it really hard for independent antech over the next couple of years.
2: Yes. This is all being done in the face of loss of signal by Apple. Meta is continuing to just clean up and crush it. That's a really good point. And the other thing that's so interesting is I did attend a couple of things, you know, private company stuff dur- during a- Advertising Week, which was which was last week in New York City. And you know, for folks that are not at these companies or working on AI, they're still talking about AI like it is the future. That oh, it's going to do this. It's going to do that. People it is eating lunches right now so like it's like this this is now this is not in 5 years just like you know blow, blown away the what, what meta and and frankly i think what what's happening with google as well
0: yeah you, you really have to ask yourself if even a really scaled ad tech company like the trade desk if they can match the ai prowess of
2: Meta. Give them fifty percent of the AI prowess of Meta, which I believe they can get to, or twenty five percent. I mean, the results would be transformational.
0: Well, on the other hand, I was thinking the negative side of that, which is, are are they going to, are they going to have their lunch eaten despite their incredible position? Or are you going to have conversations like, "We love you. your Your app is great. Your service is great. We've been using it for ten years." But the delta between the results I get with you and PMAX is just too big. I just don't need a DSP anymore.
1: Yeah, that was the first thing that came to my mind because I was thinking about, you know, at Prebid summit and a couple of the events I went to before that, I heard lots of advertiser buy side skepticism about PMAX. But then you see these results and it's kind of like, well, OK, yeah, you're complaining about you want transparency and this and that. But if you're getting the results, what you, are you really going to complain or are you going to
2: optimize your spend towards where you're getting the results? I'm going to take the other side of this. And mainly this might just be where I spend my days. There's so much happening with ad tech as it relates to startup innovation and where that is going to be applied outside of Meta and 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 Google Alphabet that I think there's going to be like real adoption and real, real results being driven outside of it. But it's, ha- it's got to happen fast. Otherwise, they're just going to continue to eat the, eat the market.
0: I think the point you made about a- AI being here now is kind of the most important thing that, that we've been talking about. A lot of folks are like, maybe I should do a startup to do AI creative. It's like, no, no, no. You should have done that. Two years ago.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah, I find it very interesting what you said about the startups too, because yeah, I I have been running into, you know, there, there's a couple names like you know, Chalice gets out there a lot, but you know, there are these companies already trying to be a more independent ad tech that at the same time can offer brands the transparency that they say they crave. There's there's definitely a market here, and I and it's yeah, I we should be watching the space for innovation. Yeah, shout out to Chalice, Chalice Portfolio cool. Company. Of ours, (laughs) not not of ours.
0: Not of mine.
1: (laughs) I didn't know I had 50% of you covered with that, I swear.
0: <laughs> it's just a bit of a sore subject That 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 podcast we did with Adam for like two or three weeks ago. That I probably got more comments on that than any other any other one. People want us to do like a cage match or something. Uh-huh. We actually get along fine. We're we're perfectly friendly. So one other thought I I thought was interesting about the earnings reports. We you mentioned uh, Spotify having a very good quarter. Their growth was in music advertising, not podcast advertising. And we're a big fan of podcast advertising. And you know we're partnered with with sounds profitable which you know is the leading voice of podcast advertising but it just their bet spotify's bet a couple of years ago does not appear to be really paying off
1: fascinating yeah i've always you know it's a weird thing for me personally as i'm a guy i'm a musician at heart i don't listen to podcasts i listen to music and you know the whole podcast revolution my wife on the other hand like non-stop podcasts. so but you think they went too far in the podcast direction and, and maybe now they're bouncing out a bit?
0: They invested in a lot. They invested in content. They, they bought anchor. they bought uh, they bought a content management system. They, they really did a lot and I think they wanted to be the Google for podcasting. Um, you know wrapping up the ecosystem. And I think consumers didn't act that way. Consumers are sort of loyal to a player, either Apple or Spotify or YouTube. and it was hard to get them off that. I think it's also interesting that YouTube, so Google Sunset, Google Podcasts recently, but at the same time, YouTube is adding better podcast support. So it's another example of how YouTube is kind of eating up all, all these kind of random initiatives inside Google.
2: Yeah. On the podcast thing, it's twofold. I think it's, you know, number one, audio, you know, and as it relates to both like sort of like terrestrial radio and you know d- digital radio, i.e. music, dwarfs podcasting. By a factor of ten, I think that's number one. Number two, you can more easily run ads on music, just like you do with terrestrial radio. So I think the the growth is just coming from terrestrial and and podcasts. They're hard. They're harder to scale because the best ads are host read, but you know what? They're harder to scale and they command an incredible premium as well. So you know, I, I think you're you're right. In that um, the, the bet was that you'd see more mass adoption by it, but I think it's a it's still a great market. And um, and I think where a lot of the future for podcasting is, is actually video. There is a a, a real surprising number of podcasts, you know, R- Rogan being an example, but there, there there's plenty, plenty of others that you know they've got like incredible numbers on YouTube. And that's not gonna be podcast ad budgets, that's gonna be C T V and digital video budgets. So I think I think the market is actually large, but it's how how can it be scaled?
0: Yeah, I, I think you're right. The video gives you the availability of, of many different channels, including YouTube, as well as TikTok and other things like that, where you can monetize that audio doesn't. Um, but I'm a big fan of, of podcast advertising. And as, if you are listening to this, you probably heard a couple of ads. Uh, if you would like to put your brand in front of thousands of incredibly well-qualified ad tech professionals who listen to this and related podcasts. Please call me or email. Me. Oh,
1: wow, um, that was that was smooth ad insertion from the master.
0: <laughs> you know, I just I gotta I gotta fill the empty slots. You know. <laughs> <it is. laughs> All right, this was an awesome conversation. Let's wrap it on that. Uh, Gavin, thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey, it's been an honor to be here with uh, two great minds of advertising. I loved every moment.
0: Eric, always a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. And a reminder, we will not have an episode of Justify Your Existence after that. It will be coming out next week and following every following week on Wednesdays. So thank you for listening.